Hi, my name is Joe Houghton and this is the Plus One Podcast. My guest today is Paul Hine, F-R-S-A, uh, which I believe means Fellow of the Royal Society for the Encouragement of Art, Manufactures and Commerce, or the Royal Society of Arts, as it's known. Um, and people who get that designation are judged to have made outstanding achievements to social progress and development. So that's quite an accolade to, to have after your name. And, uh, and I hope we can come on to finding a little bit more about that from Paul in, in a little while. Um, his LinkedIn profile describes Paul as a theatre maker, and I, I presume that doesn't mean that you're a brickie, um, but you but you actually create theatrical experiences, um, and and you know you're you're director of, of a company called Made by Mortals, which we'll we'll again explore as we go through, a company who bring people's experience to life through immersive stuff that gets you right involved in the action podcasts films and musical theater shows so you know as a novice podcaster myself i'm already feeling nervous now um so so you know you will we'll just see how this goes um paul teaches in community non-profit and health and social care workforce development so there's no mention of college there's no mention of school there's no mention of any formal educational institutions and that's one of the reasons why when i came across paul's profile i kind of thought oh this this paul would be really good because you know we're trying to cast the net wide into different educators and stuff so uh, so thanks so much for agreeing to come on uh, that's really really great paul um so let's kick off with with something from that pre-survey that I sent out. You wrote in there, our community uses their lived experience to challenge social injustice and inequity from a place of leadership and strength. This brings about the right questions and honest answers, helping services hear the voices of marginalised people and make changes to their approach based on people-centred foundations. Now that sounds very lofty. That sounds brilliant. But, you know, talk to us about the rubber hitting the road and how that works in real life and, and how you make a difference with this stuff. Because that, that's that's quite something, isn't it? Well, yeah, I guess, I suppose, um, I, I, you know, there's a situation where services and the world that we live in, uh, you know, people aren't given the opportunity to use their experience and their expertise through their experience to kind of improve the world that that we live in and the systems that that look after us and educate us etc etc and people's experience isn't valued enough in that picture in, in in my mind and quite often people are kind of cut out of processes um where their expertise and their input might be really valid in, in you know, in, in improving health or improving education, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And I guess what, you know, what I saw an opportunity and, and my, my colleague Andy who runs Made by Mortals with me kind of saw an opportunity about how we could use people's lived experience through creativity and how we could support people to um, enact their citizenship, if you like, to improve the world that we lived in by using their skills, their their imaginations, um, but also their experience, and for that for that process to be empowering to that individual, um, and I guess I've been to sort of conferences, things like that, where people's lived experiences used, 
And it can often be quite tokenistic. It can often be slightly exploitative um, where somebody can get rolled out. They tell their stop story about what their experience has been. Everyone gives it a lovely clap and then they roll back out again and nothing really changes. And I guess we wanted to do something that was the kind of opposite of that and was about people taking part in a fun, exciting, experiential learning experience that also could bring about change to their lives and uh, their communities' lives, I guess. So let me throw you an easy question to start with then, if, you, if you're a theatre background and all the rest of it. So tell yep. us a story, okay? Um, give us a, tell us a story of someone, uh, I think you mentioned John, yep. was it? There was a story about John. Maybe that's a, a, a good story to illustrate what you're talking about, or, or if not, then somebody else. But tell us how this works in real life. Give us a give us an example. Of well, a... uh, we quite, what what we quite often do is create create characters, and we we do that through people's imagination, skills, and lived experience. And I, I guess what what I mean by that is, you know, we never take somebody and put them on stage. So. Right. For, well, John's a real person. John John works with us regularly every week. He's in his mid seventies. He's got um, a heart condition. He's got um, diabetes uh, in his experience. He's also an amazing poet, um, and he, he's got a really keen memory. Um, he's been really vulnerable over the over the pandemic, in particular to 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 uh, the situation. And he, you know, he lives on it on his own. But we never kind of tell John's. John's story um, in its like, or, or anybody's story we, we we kind of come up with a process where John can use his imagination his skills and his experience to create you know another character another world that we mm. then sort of bring to bring, bring to life using theatre and uh, and music and I think this the sort of thing that you're alluding to is um this sense of, of of john being in a performance that we did called rats in the sofa and he sort of stood there holding his stick um stood playing a character called mr d um and we it was this show that we did where we had 50 health and social care practitioners and 50 people with lived experience in the audience in this in this old theater uh, so this old uh, church building where they so you're kind of in the round and john's oh. there in the middle of everybody uh, surrounded by these these hundred people with his sort of stick playing this character called mr d um and you hear about mr d's life and it's kind of projected onto john and although john isn't mr d mm. you can feel the vulnerability of john from a place of strength there and you can kind of project this character onto mr uh, onto john so you, you you really connect on a human level with this character through john in a, in a way and then and then john there's a song that happens that song uh, at, at, at that point by the ensemble which john uh, joins in on um and and from John's point of view, he, he really gets loads from it. He talks about it and a passion that he has for doing the work and how he can build himself and his and, and his community at the same time. That and it gives him a real sense of pride in 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 that achievement. And that particular show was called Rats in the Sofa, and it was called that because it was about safeguarding. And um one of the case studies I read had a gentleman who had had rats in his in his actual sofa when they when the people went round to 
to sort of uh, his case and they went round and checked on him and etc. Um, and that, that, you know, the show made a big impact on how um, it was Oldham actually it was in, how, how the safeguarding team approached some of the cases that were then falling through the net. And I guess really? John's story, John and the character he played, yeah. played a good part in, in that happening. So it's one thing kind of, you know, writing an email saying, you know, Mr. Houghton has got a rat in his sofa, but it's quite another thing to bring that to life in a in a theatre setting, in an intimate, connected, emotional environment and Completely. make it almost something that, that they connect to as, as health workers that the perhaps was more objective. Exactly. And those case studies, I've read a few of them and they're cold. There's where's there's no humanity in them. And and don't get me wrong, they're functional and obviously there's things that need to happen to help people that are uh, you know, there's medications that people need to take, there's there's actions that need to take place, but there's a lack of humanity in some of those case studies. And I guess what we were trying to do with the work that we did with John uh, and that show is bring that humanity back, that these are real people with real, real lives. And I think sometimes, and, and in a way, and, and, and Oldham were very forward thinking in, in this in this way, um, was that, you know, a group of people sat around a table who have no experience of these people's lives and have no experience of the things that people are going through are making decisions on how to help in the best possible way. And they're not making decisions with all the information. Um, and they're not making decisions from quite often um, as a human being, they're making it as a cog in a system. And I guess this show was to push them into a educate them into, into what that experience might be in the best possible way you can without actually living it and B, move them into a place where they're able to make decisions for other humans from a point of their own humanity, if that makes any it, sense. It makes sense. I mean, I don't know whether you've ever come across Simon Sinek, um, and he, he has this thing that he talks about, and it's a very well-known TED Talk, uh, back in 2013, I think, called The Golden Circle. And he says you start with the why. You know, you've got to connect with people's emotions to drive changes in behaviour. And that seems to be exactly what you're doing. You're tapping into that emotional well and you're connecting them with the, the feeling and then, you know, maybe making a case or whatever. But uh, what I'm interested in, and I mean, I love this idea, but you just you just said uh, Oldham are forward thinking as a, what is a borough council or, or, or city council or whatever. How do you get a bunch of theatre people involved in... Policy making with 50 social workers. I mean, these worlds seem like so far apart. How, however, does that actual process take place? You know, walk us through that. Uh, blood, sweat and tears is, is probably the first thing I'll, I'll, I'll say. But I think you'd be surprised, you know, our sister, like, you know, the NHS, the councils, you know, the public se sector is huge and there's a public sector are people, you know, there's yeah. lots of individuals in that. And there are a lot of people who are passionate about um, what might be called co-production, you, you know, where the, the world is sort of where, where people uh, with lived experience, for example, have a role and much more active role to play in health generation, in in generation generating knowledge and 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 other systems. Of, you know, 
And, and I think there's loads of people out there who have that kind of passion. There's loads of people out there who believe in the power of creativity and the arts mm. uh, to, to change things. Um, and, you know, it's about finding those people and bridging and a relationship with those people and thinking to yourself, well, how can we work together in the best possible way to bring about change? And then hoping those people get further up in their organization so their yeah. influence and power increases. And that's happened on a number of, you know, when you, you stay in the game long enough, the people that you met 10 years ago suddenly have a lot more sway, you know, for yeah. example. So it's that. And then hoping those messages sort of filter through. But it is a massive barrier to the impact of our work. You know, we have, we, we does get missed out. You, you have a conversation with someone that says how important they think this work is and how brilliant they think this work is. And then on the day they were supposed to turn up to uh, take part in it, uh, unfortunately, their workload just got a bit too much and they couldn't make it. And and sometimes I get that, like, you know, quite often if it's a life and death situation that you might be making, particularly in the health sector, I can understand why someone doesn't turn up to a piece of theatre. Uh, but it's not always that the case. Quite often it's something that can get pushed back. Quite often you're up against people thinking it's fluffy and nice to have. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Uh, sort of, oh yeah, and we'll also do a bit of this, you know, and, and, and I kind of my cases and what, what why, why our organizations exist is that we think the arts and particularly participatory arts can play a fundamental role in bringing about some of the changes and more people-centered approaches that a lot of um organizations policies certainly state that they want to do yeah i mean it's 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 i've not come across this as an idea before i love it I mean, it's 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 a brilliant idea, um, and I mean, you know, I, I've been I've was involved in choirs for years, and I did lots of arty stuff and stuff. So I know about being on stage. You know, whether you're singing or whether you're you're kind of you know acting or whatever. I mean, it's magic. It's, there's there's a magic to it, but the, it just seems like such a such a gulf between the magic inside the theatre that you get you know, when the lights go down and policymakers in, in a, in a, in an office with cubicles and fluorescent lights and, <clears throat> you know, bridging that gap just seems almost inconceivable to me. I, I, I'm just amazed that you've ever done this. You know, how, how did you come to this? What, you know, take yourself back to when you went to Metropolitan University in Manchester and you did, you opted for theatre studies you know I mean were you going to be Kenneth Branagh or you know kind of you know at the old Vic or uh, <laughs> or did you think to yourself I'm, I'm going to end up you know doing theatre with with you know social workers in in Oldham <laughs> what was the yeah, that's a good question uh, uh, well uh, I guess I could take you back even further in a way yeah. and, and, and when I first started doing is uh, uh, drama and my love of of drama when I was very young, um, and I think particularly through my teenagehood, that was the thing that kept me in school. I, I kind of got um, excluded from school on a couple of occasions, uh, or suspended. It was because I wasn't permanently excluded. Um, your, your, your common your common thread with me is David Price, and, and he has the same stories. <laughs> well, yes. yes, I can imagine. Well, yes. So I uh, I had that experience, but the drama kept me there in a way that you know 
if it wasn't for that, I'm sure I would have gone a lot more off the rails. Also, luckily, drama schools accept you, or they certainly did when I was younger, uh, without loads of qualifications. So I was able to get into a university and get a degree with only barely scraping in 1A level. So it, it, it was, you know, I was very lucky from that point of view. And, and that's what creativity and drama kind of did for me. So I always understood the power of it beyond beyond just being a you know a famous actor or whatever. But at the time I went to drama school, I very much wanted to be, you know, uh, on the films and you know, touring theatre and, and and whatnot. Um and I, I did I wasn't a professional actor for a short period of time. I, I met my wife um as a professional actor in Romeo and Juliet, although I wasn't in I wasn't Romeo <laughs> yeah. and Juliet at the Royal Exchange Theatre in 2000 and, oh god I'm going to say five wow uh, I wasn't playing Romeo I had three parts so you can see how big my role was <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, at that time uh, when she was in the education department we met we met doing doing that part and there was um, Andrew Garfield who went on to be Spider-Man and he's in he's in Hollywood now mm. playing Romeo um, and I, one of my stories is I, I gave him nits. And so I gave Spider-Man nits. Because um, <laughs> at the same time as, <laughs> This is my only claim to fame. At the same time as uh, being in Romeo and Juliet, I was also working in a school teaching drama to uh, primary school children. And in one of the drama games I must have played, we, there was like touching heads, touching albums, yeah. touching knees. I mean, in COVID times, it's probably not a great idea. But at the time, it was all very fun. And um, and I caught nits from playing this game. Um, and then I'm in a fight scene with Romeo, Andrew Garfield, and, you know, he got nits from, from, from that. <laughs> anyway, I digress. So well, at the same time this was all happening, I was kind of getting into education. And through the education uh, opportunities, I was getting through through working as an actor, um, yeah. CIE, theatre and education for a while. Um, and then I started working in schools and, and particularly in schools working in pupil referral units, supporting young people in pupil referral units while <laughs> acting on the side. Um, okay. Bringing my practice into the pupil referral unit where we'd start making films with the guys or we'd start uh, doing plays or we'd start doing that. And I started seeing the impact of that, that, that work was that work was having um and i really got a passion for it and i guess the the sort of clinch came um when we i'd set i worked in this people referral unit in manchester we'd spent ages building up the young people's confidence they'd written a script with us we were there on the shooting day and the day before my agent rang and said we've got a audition for you in um hoffa hollyhoke sorry i think it was a policeman it's tomorrow can you go and I was like, oh, well, I want to be an actor. So, yeah, I better go. So I cancelled this day. It cost me money to do it. it. You know, we rearranged it. So I'm sure the young people live. But, you know, I was, I felt gutted to let them down. They were excited on that day. And I drove all the way there. I was in for five seconds. You know, it was a, what, 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 what we call in the business, a spit and a cough and you're out. Um, mm. And I didn't get the part. And it was a waste oh. of time. And I was just like, well, what am I doing? You know, why am I choosing this over this? Um, yeah. wrote, I drove home from Liverpool, where it was, and, and rang my agent, well, the then agent there and then, and said, no, this isn't for me anymore. And then focused purely on, on, uh, on, on, on part participation, education, and that side of things from, 
from that time on. And I guess where the kind of passion for the policymaking side of things, et cetera, came from is that myself and Andy, uh, who's a composer who, who also runs Made by Mortals alongside me, you know, we were doing work for loads of cultural organisations across Greater Manchester, northwest of England. And, you know, it was quite often under-resourced, mm. quite often badly organised, rarely promoted or, or, or in a way that their main housework would be. Um, it was often the sort of bridesmaid rather than the bride, if you like. Um, and we just, and, and quite often you were kind of shipped in to go and work with a group of young people or a group of adults or, you know, people who were like, you know, they thought needed a kind of creative experience. You were shipped in, you were there for 10 weeks and they had a lovely show at the end. Everyone clapped and said, oh, well, didn't they do well? And then you were shipped back mm. out. And I was always thinking, well, you know, where's the impact there? What's this, this work is not getting treated in the way I thought it needed to get treated or myself and Andy thought it's not getting resourced in the way it could be. It's not artistically being pushed or driven or, you know, the work is not having the impact that we think it could have. And the one. So what, what is the impact then? So, I mean, cause I mean, you know, I remember very fondly being in Joseph and the amazing technical dream coat. <clears throat> As a, as a 15 year old and you know the lights going out in leicester cathedral halfway through the big elvis number and you know all those wonderful things that go wrong um <clears throat> and it, it you know and i'm 58 years old and and that's like 40 years ago and i still remember it and, and it was a seminal formative experience for me so i mean there is value in you know doing a musical for 10 weeks and putting the show on and, and that's it that's it isn't it but so where where do you want to go further what, what's the more well, i guess i guess it's i suppose it's partly in that sort of you know i i, I mean i don't know about your history joe and i don't want to make uh, presumptions but quite often the people that we were working with for that period of time creating that work and, and all the work we do even back then and, and now is co-created. So it doesn't exist until it's made by the people in the, in the room. So it's right. not like we perform. Not like an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical that you can just no. pick up and do. You, you, exactly. you're, you're creating something from nothing. Yeah. Exactly. So we're entering the room, not always with a blank page, but we're entering the room with a sort of starting point, a skeleton of ideas, whatever it might be. And then we're working with those people in that room to create an original piece that then they go on to perform in in some some capacity or or another and, and they inform the development of that piece from their experience and their pain and their passion and all the stuff that they bring to that. that's the lived experience bit is it yeah their imaginations and and all of that so we've always done that that, that work it's always been that original sort of material and, and i guess what the problem was in many ways is is the limited time that you were with the, with people and then you disappeared and it's like you know you're building people up you're giving them this experience and then you're you know it then it just ends yeah I mean, that was one problem the other thing is is that there was a it's a value like that piece created by those people was often given less value than i don't know a, a classical music piece being yeah played. Or, a, or the main house play that was running for six weeks or the you know the the, the you know the, and, and i question well why has that got less you know mm -hmm. uh, the value why is that not being talked about 
as much as the other work. Why is why is the press department not coming down and 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 sort of promoting this, not the other? Do you see? And then yeah. there was also that sense of uh, didn't do they didn't they do well? Where you'd have a lot of kind of rich trustees, etc., sat coming to see the show, clapping, and oh, haven't the poor people done very? <laughs> now I'm overegging it. I'm sure a lot of them didn't. <laughs> Yeah, but I know what you mean. That yeah. of it, you know, that I didn't, I, we didn't like. And, and we thought there's something different here. And then also the work oh, was very fleeting. And there's nothing wrong with disposable art forms. Yeah. You, know, you did that once and it was gone. And you were like, what? Some of these stories we're hearing, some of these experiences, some of this, there's some of this material in here, you know, this could really make a difference here. What, why, you know, who's hearing it? Who's listening to it? Where is it going? And it wasn't going far enough. There wasn't enough people listening to it and it wasn't living up to its full potential. Um, and we wanted to create an organisation that in some way tried to kind of address some of those problems, I guess. So how do you, so how do you make things more permanent? Is, is that purely recording? Well, touring. So we we, 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 yeah. we came up with a process where we'd make a piece. Well, put, partly we have a core community that we regularly work with. So we right. developed an organisation where we didn't just ship in and ship out. And if we do do standalone projects, which we do do, we, we pay people to take part in the activity and we make it very clear the notion of their participation in it. We, we pay them in shopping vouchers so not to affect people's benefits, but we do it in such a way that we value their time and we're really open and honest about the amount of time yes. they spend with us to make it as ethical as possible. And then for every everything else that we make, and then we invite people into this core community once they've taken part in something remotely with us. This core community we meet on a regular, regular basis regular basis in giving opportunities for skills development for creative opportunities so that really helps support people on a long more permanent basis mm. also worked on accessibility and how we support and grow a piece and tour a piece so once you've created a piece of work you can tour it around multiple venues and use it over and over again we've also worked on ways that we can change and adapt pieces so we can meet the needs of different uh, well, customers or clients or organisations that we might we might work with. We've also developed pieces in a way that, you know, people can dip in and out of it. So you don't have to rely on a cast. You go back to your Joseph and his technical dream coat. You don't have to rely on those key parts all the while. You know, you mm -hmm. can create a piece where people can come sometimes and not others. You know, we've literally had performances where, so one, one, one performance, someone will turn up at two o'clock and the show's on at 2.30 and expect to be in it, you know, it, it, and you have to try and adapt and find a process in a way that they can still participate in that. So it's partly about... So a lot of improv. <laughs> it's improv, but also kind of, it's also how you frame it because we, we always work in collaboration with professional artists. Right. And people from the community community co-creators is a phrase that we like the best in working together so it's how you create a framework where the where the where it doesn't all hold on one person's shoulders that people can take part in it without feeling like like you know that dream that you might have had when you turn up and you're naked in the in the pantomime <laughs> yeah. i'm sure we've all actually, haven't we? yeah. yeah you don't feel like that basically um, yeah. yeah, and then, so and then it's, it's the same 
space. You're making this a psychological safe space and people can fall over and fluff their lines because there aren't any lines really. Um, they're, they're in that authentic place and yes. whatever they share is real. Exactly that and also making room for that to happen, but also that being part of the theatrical experience that the audiences audience are witness to so they are seeing the strings if you like they are seeing they are they 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 understand that john is performing they see the effort of his performance Mm -hmm. and they see him as a human being but they see him acting at the same time and they see the transition between the two and that is all part of the artistic and social impact of the piece that they are experiencing all at the same time and that is part of it and it's embraced in it and without it it wouldn't be near as nowhere near as as, as good as it as it could be and um, that's the that's the thing so so when you were doing this thing for oldham um safeguarding adults so so so, so john's there and he's, he's doing his piece and whatever and and the story of his character and the tribu- tribulations whether it's rats in the sofa or you know, other things that are affecting his life and making him feel bad and, you know, that he's not being served properly by the current system, presumably is coming out in the performance. How does that translate then into change? Well, that particular character, Mr D, had a mental health condition and alcoholism, um, addiction to alcohol. And his drinking was increasing as his mental health was uh, getting poorer and, you know, becoming harder for him to manage. He was very isolated, very, very lonely. He was experiencing suicidal thoughts. And uh, and then, I guess, the the audience, uh, which was a mixture of, uh, just to remind you, people with lived experience of some of these issues and the health and social care practitioners, were kind of given the job of helping Mr. D. How can we help Mr. D? Who can help Mr. D? What can we do um, to support Mr. D at this at this time? So the audience- is, that, is that in the performance kind of, is that part of the performance? Like, so, you know, you stop the performance and turn around to the audience and say, right now, you're part of the performance now. You know, what can we do to help? And you're actually making them engage straight away with that visceral feeling of helplessness that he's projected or or despair or whatever is that's oh my goodness <laughs> yeah, exactly that and so it's a it's a forum theater it's a well-known sort of way of approaching the uh these things I, um and i i guess it, it gives them the opportunity to have those discussions with people about what can help. And there's always a quite an interesting distinction between what maybe people with from the community might say and what health and social practitioners, commissioners, etc., might might say. One of the questions that we ask uh, practitioners and commissioners when we're only working with them is what's your reaction to the work? How do you feel about the piece from a professional point of view? And how do you feel about the piece from a, a personal point of view. And it's really interesting to see what the difference between those two reactions might be. And then you can't ask the question is, why is there, why does that even exist? Why does that golf, <clears throat> how yeah. is that golf that, you know, in yeah. you, you do your job? 
because I think sometimes systems can train people to be less human and more more machine like and robotic and and uh, and uh, bureaucratic in their in their approach, and almost now there's there's work being picked then there's there's this we're getting commissioned by organizations to help reverse that and help people become more personal in their in their in their approach which is interesting itself you know i i think i think out to trends in management and business thinking around things like framing <clears throat> where you know the way you describe a situation affects the perception of the situation and affects the behaviors that are then taken but what you're doing is throwing the frame away you're just you're just throwing people into the frame aren't you you're kind of making them part of the picture you're making them part of that scene um so it's not that you're describing the frame this big or this big you're actually putting them right in the middle of it and saying feel it <laughs> yeah you know feel the the turbulence feel the the wind feel the the pain feel the challenge that's exactly so powerful <clears throat> yeah and, and i guess in terms of impact oldham safeguarding adults board were considering for alcohol they had a number of cases where people's alcoholism uh, was leading to suicide um and that was happening they were seeing that happen as a trend at the time and they were looking to invest in an early intervention um service so they were looking to find an interventional service that would come in before somebody hit like rock bottom basically yeah. and support them um, at that sort of early point. And that, you know, a service like that nature would cost around 200,000 pounds. Say it would come in at a point, you know, it, it would be there and it kind of makes, if you're sat around a table and you're looking at the figures and you're looking at the case study and you're thinking, yeah, that's going to make sense. We'll put a service in at this point in the man's journey and it will stop him in rock bottom and then it will save lots of money in the long run because of all the extra care that somebody needs once they've um, you know, attempted suicide and, and, and it got to that sort of point. However, the people in the room who had experience of alcohol addiction, most of which were now in recovery, in fact, all of which were now in in recovery and that's why they were attending through a through one of the sort of partner organizations we were working with said there's nothing that would stop me here rock bottom there's nobody i could have talked to there's nobody who could have stepped in there's nothing that happened i was on a journey to rock bottom and it's now that i need your help so that was a very powerful thing for oldham safeguarding adults board to hear um and from that they then reviewed the situation uh, around an early intervention and started working on the on how they could improve recovery services and invest in recovery services as an alternative um, yeah they wouldn't have had that information you know could they have got that from a survey i don't know maybe probably not so mm. it's 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 a way of hearing the voices of uh people who have experiences of those services in order to make them better for the future yeah i mean this this thing of heard voices is and that's the core of this isn't it you're giving people who don't have a voice a voice at these tables at these decision making levels through this inspirational medium yeah and I, well i guess it's supporting people they do have a voice they're just not being heard you know and they're not yeah. being given the opportunity to be heard and they're not being given the opportunity to participate in a uh a, 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 an 
approach that allows them to be heard in a way that, or, or, or you know, supports them to be heard in a way that's meaningful and good for them, you know, uh, and, and they're not being necessarily asked the right questions in the first place. I mean, no. that's the problem. Quite often people learn to say what other people want to hear. I mean, mm. we all do it to a certain extent. Quite often, you know, the, 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 the frame that you give, the opportunity that you give somebody to participate isn't the right opportunity for them to participate in. And, you know, we're trying to provide something that people can take part in that's good for them, good for their health, good for them to take part in, but also meaningful and hopefully uh, gets organizations systems uh teams of people hearing the things that they need to hear to improve the job that they do yeah it must be very interesting <clears throat> you know as a formal educator and, and it's funny because i've got into innovative education relatively recently and i did a fellowship with the ucd innovation academy and you know it kind of really lit me up about this stuff and and Prior to that, I've, I've kind of been your classic boring lecturer, PowerPoint notes delivering to class, you know, which now I'm looking back and I'm trying to get away from as much as I can. <laughs> There's a fear in a lot of educators about the lack of perceived control. If I move away from my known PowerPoint deck and my known hour session or two hour session um and and my learning outcomes and you know my curriculum um i'm in a scary place i might <laughs> fall over i might fail i might be perceived to be you know incompetent or whatever i mean all those all those kind of things you know jump out to people don't they so but, but you come at this from a completely different angle don't you i mean like Success is people showing up and just engaging with the process. You don't know where the process is going. I mean, you you must have experiences where you started a day or you started a week off and it just went in some completely different direction than you thought it would. Is that, am I, would that yeah. be true? Yes, that is true. I think it's, uh, I think it would be, disingenuous of me to try and paint this picture where anything goes and anything could happen and it's all freewheeling because yeah. it, it isn't and, and in fact part of the art of it is creating a sort of structure or creating a methodology of working that means gives gives space to for things to 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 happen without yeah. being planned so things do happen that aren't planned but they happen in the space that they're designed to happen yes if that makes <clears throat> like a garden almost you can't precisely say how that plant's going to grow but you can plant it there and you can feed it the right food and constrain it within a, a certain area or whatever yeah yeah great great uh, yeah analogy that's exactly what it's like you you very much sort of and you get uh, yes, yeah, so you create a system where, and you create uh, supported by, uh, um, you know, professional facilitators, professional actors, professional um, artists, um, and working with people uh, and communities together, and you create a piece that that has that ability to be anything to happen, but in a very sort of uh in the right point in a in a way that's like safe and you have things in place where you can kind of steer it in different direction or take things back or 
or, or, or highlight things that you want to highlight and, and sort of stray away things that, that kind of take you on a, on a, in a direction that's not necessarily useful at that, at that time. And you have to sometimes make those decisions on the hoof. You have to yeah. almost create what you're doing on the, on, on the hoof. And that does take a, a skill, but it's a skill that you like any other that you can over time and experience to develop. Um, yeah, that's that's a facilitation skill, isn't it? To to guide and and channel rather than dictate. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. How has this translated into the chaos of the last eighteen months? Well, I mean, I mean, like everyone, it was a massive shock, wasn't it, to start with? I think what we had unique to maybe other organisations. Um, arts arts based or, or otherwise is we had a community that we regularly engaged with um that we knew well yeah and we we knew that we needed to make sure we kept on providing activity for them as soon as we possibly could do so there was yeah. i think with one group we didn't even miss a week we managed to get the group on zoom and taking part in a session um using online an online platform without even missing one week um and that's partly due to Andy uh, runs Made by Models with me and his research that he did into the best platform very early on in the pandemic that we could use. Um, and many groups to start with, we were just ringing them, ringing them every week and just saying like, hi guys, how you doing? Spending a bit of time on the phone, talking to people, keeping them in touch with what we were doing, using the old sna snail, snail mail, sending snail people to yeah. <laughs> post uh, to keep them on side. Um, but over probably six weeks, we managed to move most people onto onto Zoom, which is the one that we chose to work with, and delivered our sessions uh, over over Zoom. Um, we even put in a free phone number so people without Wi-Fi could use a home, like a telephone and take part yeah. using that. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and so we had a lot of people just on the phone taking part in the work. Now, obviously, that again, there was another whole load of facilitation lessons to be learned there about how you facilitate a session when some people can't see and some people can and some people's internet's on the blink and some you know so it was it was it was a sort of trial and error process and then we moved to podcasting um like yourself joe instead of live musical theater shows we moved to podcasting so then it was a kind of question about how do we bring our ethos across using audio how do we create work using audio how do we compose with a musician using zoom as the platform to do it um how do we record this work how do we use the work going forwards in a way that we can still bring about the changes we want and it was a great it's been brilliant and we definitely are going to keep a lot of stuff as we move forward um and a lot of processes that we've learned during that time so it was a great opportunity for us really and i think because we were able to move so quickly and and we had this these people ready to go we were very much ahead of the game i guess in terms of what we were able to achieve compared to maybe other other uh, other organizations for example yeah you've you've got quite a track record yeah um I, i'm i'm gonna put you in touch with the the guys who run the innovation academy in ucd in dublin because I, I think you've you've got a gig or two to come. <laughs> um, definitely, <clears throat> um, there's some the, there's some definite synergies with the stuff that they try and do and the stuff that you do, uh, which I think 
should should be explored. Let's 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 just put it that way. Um, you mentioned a couple of books, and I'd never heard of these, and I'd never heard of Hilary Cotton. Tell us about Hilary Cotton and Be More Pirate and Radical Help. What are these? Wow. Well, um, I guess. I mean, I think you asked me a while ago, how do I kind of, how did you get into this sort of policy change element? Yeah. And I guess it's from talking to the allies that I kind of mentioned, um, a wonderful lady called Judy Farley, who heads up Oldham Safeguarding Adults Board, for example. Um, and we had quite a long conversation with her about their approach. And it's kind of like you talk about your work and you talk about your passion for co-creation. You talk about your passion for uh, working with communities and for for, for, for people uh, and the work they might and the impact the work could have and you know a lot of different industries a lot of different systems a lot of different people have their own kind of version of that and yeah. it's kind of listening to other people's versions of that and thinking well how where is the crossover between my version and your version and how can we how can we work together to bring about the kind of change that we both want to see in the way that we want to see it um, and uh, Julia Mungle, many other people that I talked to had their own versions of, of, of that. Um, and that's where the, I got introduced to books like uh, Hilary Cotton's um, uh, uh, Radical Change, Be More Pirate um, stuff, where it's very much about thinking about how you can bring about change. Like I've talked about involving real people, about co-production, in terms of a system where, um, you know, things aren't done to people, people are part of that experience. We kind of get away from that producer-consumer mentality where, you know, we've been kind of hoodwinked into you, you can just consume health, you know, you can just get better, like you can turn up like a machine with a mental health problem or obesity or diabetes and go through the machine and come out fixed on the other side. You know, that doesn't yeah. exist. It might exist with a broken arm, but it doesn't exist with something with like mental health. exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it doesn't yeah. exist anymore. Amazing. So. Oh well, that, that, they're two books to to add to my reading list. Then it sounds yeah. like they're and they they kind of talk about Hillary um, Cotton's approaches. She she set up these teams uh, and she took on the f sort of what they call it the five beasts or the five pillars of uh, um, of of uh, like. Uh, uh, Bevan's five pillars or whatever it's called. So she took on like welfare and, and she took on health and she kind of created an alternative person-centered approach. And it's a, the book's about her experiences of setting up these teams and what they learned from, from taking an alternative approach to, to these different things, which is great and really interesting. The Be More Pirate uh, movement is around pirates and set about pirates and how innovative pirates are and how they've got, this kind of bad name and then this kind of was yeah. joke where actually a lot of the sort of uh, pirates were were very forward thinking including a version of gay marriage include including a equal pay and a very clear pay scale including being able to leave uh, money to people and, and some of their systems were were a lot more forward thinking than you think and actually the the sort of uh, government at the time were much more barbaric in some instances than the actual yeah. pirates were and they and uh, sam the writer uses a very kind of clever analogy to sort of start to think about how you can be more pirate in your work and how you can kind of mix things up in a way that is progressive and interesting and 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 you know uh, stuff like that so yeah two crackers that really really are 
I love the pirate one because and and I did my family tree um 20 years ago or so and i have a, a pirate in the in the family tree who who was hung for piracy um and was was kind of raiding off the gower peninsula around the end of the 1700s so uh, <laughs> so harrow jim lad yeah i've got a bit of that in me definitely <laughs> this podcast is very uh very, very pirate act actually joe if you read the book you'll you'll see why it's uh yeah it's <laughs> It's quite an empowering book to read. I recommend it. Fantastic. So, so the podcast that you are, are you, are you have you got a live podcast that you're releasing week week by week or month by month at the moment? Because I know you've got one coming out for 2022 as well, haven't you? So, you multiple projects going on. Yeah, we, we so our, our one of our podcasts was called Arm, or is, is called Armchair Adventures, um, and that is made by older people for children. Um, so. Most of the makers are over 60, certainly over 55, and the audience are sort of under 10s, if you if you like. Okay. Um, and uh, the older people use their imaginations and experiences to create a journey of the imagination for the children to take part in. And it's all kind of set around this teenage um, uh, travel rep called Connie, whose travel agency is going to go bust because of coronavirus. So she gets with her, the, the, the agency specializes in holidays for the over 55s. So she joins, gets her all customers together and they come up with this idea of a journey of the imagination. So oh, even, though you're, even though you're locked up in lockdown or whatever, you can still go on this journey of the imagination and through it, they kind of help support all these children uh, and taking on these imaginative journeys but they oh, also I'm gonna plug this i'm gonna have to plug my two into this i love the idea that this is what it's like you, did you ever come across that that wonderful show from years back mr ben i did yes oh, this is mr. ben isn't it this is mr ben oh it's wonderful yeah into that definitely and i guess uh the the whole kind of concept is connie usually has something that she's struggling with quite often it's connected to her mental health that's the main character and the gang the, the customers are all played by the older people take her on an experience that helps her to understand the world a little bit better uh, um, and that's kind of each episode they're about 25 minutes long we've had around twenty-five thousand listens now something like that um well uh, done yeah it's been going quite it's been going quite well uh we're up for an award the manchester press association or award apparently or something like that so yeah it's been going it's been good and that's there's a few bonus episodes coming out still the new season will start in october with one we've created with the caribbean and african health network um that sort of helps explain racism in the light of what happened in the euros uh to marcus rashford and the, the other guys um for children so it's a it's a journey made by african and caribbean people um older people for children to help explain that um and that, that's out in october so that, that we're really excited about that we're working on that at the moment that's that's brilliant oh well I'll, I'll make sure that we've got kind of links to these in the show notes yeah that'd uh, be fab and uh and you know hopefully people can follow through and and, and look at that we're, we're coming to the end of our time i can see we're at kind of five o'clock now um <clears throat> your next personal professional development project is claw leadership and i'd, I'd not come across claw leadership c-l-o-r-e 
So, so what's this and, and why why are you doing it? What are you going to get out of this or what are you hoping to get out of a, a, a CLAW leadership course? Well, um, I mean, I think they specialise in arts leadership, arts and cultural leadership in particular. Right. Uh, um, and that's kind of my, although we do work across a number of sectors, really, and, and kind of part of the work is about being cross-sector in your approach. Um, that, that CLAW is kind of... Uh, very much for for people to support them in their in their leadership skills, or particularly the course I'm I'm on. Um, I managed to get fund my, my spot funded by Welcome, which is a, um, a a research research funder, a health and research funder. Um, so that's kind of where the crossover might come. Um, and I guess it's uh, yeah, so it's an opportunity to to meet some new people, other leaders um, in in the arts. It's an opportunity to sort of think about. You know, I think you've got to, you've got to keep on learning, haven't you? I'm sure you. I'm sure this podcast is all about that. You've got to keep on learning, haven't you? You've got to keep on being open to new experiences. You can't you can't work. You can't just sort of bottle yourself off from from things. You've got to be open, and you've got to continue to stretch yourself and put yourself in situations where um, you know you're, you're you're there to learn, really. And 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 this is a big part of that for me. And and time to come away from the day-to-day runnings of an organization i do get to be creative i do get to write i do get to 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 be involved in shows and stuff but the more the organization grows the less that happens and this is an opportunity to step out from the day-to-day grind of it all and to kind of you know have those bigger thoughts and have those sort of learn you know what 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 different ways could I be doing things or we could be doing things? How could we get better at doing this and that? How can we learn from the other people? Um, so I'm hoping mm. that that's this, if you like. Brilliant. Right. Well, let's just finish off with your plus one then, because, <clears throat> you know, that's what the podcast called. And the idea comes from the universal design for learning kind of principle of just make one change, just make one change in your practice to improve things. And I think your plus one is around kind of experiential participative learning, isn't it? So, so just, just finish, finish us off with that. What, 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 what should we do? Uh, you know, the, the audience is probably educators of different types from primary school teachers through to university professors, through to, you know, social work teachers and dental nurses and all kinds of people. So, how do we change our teaching practice using your plus one? What's the? I mean, I, I I just think there's I have not come across anything that you couldn't add a bit of drama or music or art into to sort of help improve the learning experience of the people taking part in in the work. You know, we've we've taken on all kinds of subject. We've done cyber safety. We've done uh, the life of sort of plants we've done you know we've done the data collection we've done a, there's a digital data collection person that we're working with at the moment how we can use our approaches into that so I, I really do think that any subject matter no matter how far away it seems I think the arts can can play a role in somebody's learning uh, and learning experience um, so I guess it's kind of I guess my plus one, if it's anything, it's, you know, where can, where, how can you add in some uh, arts and creative and using drama or music to make that experience different? Because, you know, people learn in very different ways. And I'm sure you've explored this in the podcast uh, at other points. 
you know, people taking information in different ways, people experience things in different ways. And, and, and I think there's always a place for creativity to help somebody learn something, experience something and kind of take that thing forward uh, in, in a way that can be useful to them in the future. So I guess if anything, you know, where can the arts be? Where can you add a bit of drama to this? Where can you make this more experiential? How can you add music? How can you sort of bring to life, which is one of our, our phrases, uh, the, 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 what you want the, the learner to take away from the session? That's fantastic. And I, I, I went onto the, um, the website um, of uh, Made by Mortals earlier on. And what I'd probably like to do if, if, I, if I can is, is include that little video that you have on your website front page, you know, where you take us onto stage and, and we're part of that little vignette um, and, and just weave that into the podcast, you know, because I think it's so powerful. It, I was just like I was blown away by it. It was it's a very very good short minute piece, isn't it? Um, so yeah, I mean, if if there's anything else that you would like us like like me to include in the in the reel, if you like, just just send me a link to to you know the video and tell me which bit to use or whatever. But yeah, I mean, just to give people that sense of because you really got the sense of it from that that short well, little. Yeah, yeah I mean, thank you for saying that for, for, for a start. And I guess we wanted to kind of get our ethos across in, in a short video and communicate it because yeah. often like people are like, what, what, what is it? You know, and it, yeah. you can get a bit, <laughs> you can get, I mean, we've been talking for an hour, but I'm sure people are still walking away thinking, I'm not sure what it is. So oh, no, I think we got there. I had to pull it out of a little bit, but, but I think we got there. But, uh, but the video really does get it yeah that, that's that, that's the hope and, and you know we were in the middle of the pandemic when we made it we had to film it under really strict guide guidelines we couldn't just get a filmmaker to follow us around doing our work as we might you might do and capture little interesting shots that help to illustrate it we had to think outside the box as it were uh, in terms of what we did and we could you know we could only have one person on the stage at a time for example we so there was a number of restrictions we had but like in many things in life restrictions are often sort of fruit for creativity aren't they and and, and it, in this case yeah, right. yeah fantastic well look we better draw it to a close thank you so much for taking the time paul this has been a brilliant episode and people are going to love this one um and and i've learned loads um and you know i think this confluence of you know, the, the artistic, experiential, participatory, lived experience and, and actually applying that to policymakers and change is revelatory. Um, it's it's amazing. Uh, and, and I hope we get to stay in touch. Um, as I say, I, I want to introduce you to a few people um, and, you know, see whether we could set something up with, with the Innovation Academy for you. Um, but uh, But yeah, thank you very much for taking the time today. Thanks, Joe. I really, really enjoyed talking to you.